Good morning. My name is Pat Coyle, and I serve as the human resources and missionary care pastor for Grace Bible Church. And uh, I actually have worn a lot of hats prior to that. One of the hats I wore was for a, about six months, I believe, um, when Southwood first opened, and our campus pastor had an illness uh, at the time. I came over and served in his stead for a few months here. And uh, back then, there were a lot fewer of you here. Uh, it's great to see what the Lord has done. I have, I've been over a couple of times, but I haven't actually been able to come and speak for quite a while. It's a privilege and a pleasure uh, to come and share with you this morning. I believe Blake is on men's retreat, and uh, so it's good to give him that break this morning. Uh, one of the things I noticed that's different is this beautiful, large clock that's back here at the back with big, bright letters on it. And I don't know if that's a hint to someone who usually preaches here, but we'll do our best to, we'll do our best to stay on, on time with that. I'm so grateful for the worship team today. Uh, I don't know if y'all, and, and, the, and the team who serve back here in the sound booth as well, I don't know if y'all do this very often, but uh, any of the worship team members still in here, or have y'all run off? Let us know you're here. Well, I know the sound booth guys are here. Would y'all just express your thanks to them? It takes a lot of work and a lot of uh, togetherness, a lot of cooperation, a lot of extra time for them to come together and, and serve you in this way. And that's kind of an illustration of where we're going this morning. Um, I thought about it, um, thinking about just the worship this morning and uh, seeing Jason there on the drum kit. And I thought, you know, what would it be like if, if, if Jared uh, came up and Jared sat there at the drum kit and, and started to lead worship from the drums? Yeah, it'd be a little odd. I've, have anybody ever seen anybody lead worship from the drums? I've, I haven't ever seen it, but I suppose it's possible Let's take it a little bit further, though. Let's say there were drum kits all the way across here, no other instruments, and the whole band came up and got in the different drum kits, and that began to get a little difficult, right? Everybody doing the same thing. And let's, let's just say that for, for sake of the illustration and stretching it a little bit that uh, they decided to all do drum solos the whole time that we're trying to worship. You get to get the picture. You know, it, it, there, there's, a, there's a, uh, an importance and an intricacy and a symphony to different instruments coming together and blending together and different voices coming together, and it creates for us a harmony and a, a, something that's pleasant to listen to. And that's kind of, that's kind of where we're going. And you know, not to pick on the drums, but in that scenario, it wouldn't, there wouldn't be that, that blended uh, oneness that we experienced as we worship together this morning. The passage today in 1 Corinthians, we're continuing in our, in our series on 1 Corinthians, actually continues on a, a line of thought related to worship. If you've been here for a couple of weeks, you know we've been talking about worship in the context of the book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, this passage today picks up on a crucial concept, something God's provided. It's essential for the church to function harmoniously and purposefully and to the glory of God and not us. And if you think about the context, give you a little context to where we've been, Back in chapter 10, that idea of seeking the good of others and seeking the glory of God uh, was, was really fully introduced. Uh, if you go back and reread, think about the messages, uh, the focus on God, the focus on others. And if, if uh, I don't hit on it again when we get to the applications, that idea is an application of everything we say today. Glorify God and seek the good of others. That's an application to the entire message today. And we moved on into chapter 11. And basically, the idea there was, with a lot of interesting passages and stories and particulars from the Corinthian context, do the same in worship, in, in the way that we worship, in the way that we worship congregationally, cooperatively, glorify God, seek the good of others, and do that in such a way as not to distract, 
or to distract others or distract yourself. That's just the kind of the fundamental message, the basics of chapters 10 and 11 as we head into chapter 12. Chapter 12 seems to move on to another subject, that of spiritual gifts. And then on to love in chapter 13, and then back to spiritual gifts in chapter 14. So that's kind of a, a preview of where we're going as well. But I want to just suggest today that chapter 12 actually is the beginning of another section on worship. A few weeks ago when, at Anderson, when Brian, I don't know if Blake did this, but when Brian was teaching on worship, he said, you could summarize worship in these three ways, lifting up, falling down, and giving in. And giving in to God and giving in to one another. So there's that idea again of, of, of God first and, and others first and then us. And that giving in, I think, is the aspect of worship that comes into play today in chapter 12. It's worship with ourselves, uh, service as worship in the context of the local church. And then chapter 13 is going to take us, we'll see right at the end, chapter 13 is going to take us uh, into a, a passage on love, uh, not, not for weddings, which is where chapter 13 is typically read, but uh, love in the context of the body of Christ and how we interact with and how we serve alongside each other. And there's a reason for that, because when we get in this context and we're offering our gifts and we're trying to work together, problems happen because we're human, right? And so Paul emphasizes love as part of that. And he goes back in chapter 14 to cover some examples again of how love plays in. So we're right at the beginning of this section of giving in, of, of, of serving, uh, worship through service, worship uh, through ourselves. And again, I got to say it, that same idea about, about worship is emphasized. Put God first, glorify God, and seek the good of others in the context of it. So we're going to look at all of chapter 12 today, beginning in verse 1. And instead of reading the whole chapter, we're going to kind of read it as, as we go through. So read with me there. Let's do verses 1 through 7. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now Paul begins basically with, with this, this statement about spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be unaware. Now, there was probably a letter from the Corinthians to Paul in which they asked several questions. There's some things we don't, we don't know about that letter to Paul. But because he says now concerning spiritual gifts, uh, most commentators assume that he's, he's addressing a question that they asked in regard uh, to spiritual gifts. And so there's some context there that, that we don't have. So we need to talk for a minute about kind of the words in this passage, the words spiritual gifts and these kind of things. So some definitions for you, some ideas. Uh, unaware, it's translated in different contexts, ignorant. Don't be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Basically, Paul is saying, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be prone to not use the gifts or to misuse the gifts. I want you to understand about spiritual gifts. And that's the purpose of this passage. They're important to body life. They're important to worship as we, as we serve alongside one another. Spiritual gifts is another term we need to understand. If you're not familiar, if you're kind of newer to the Christian walk, it's something we want you to understand. It's, Paul wants you to understand it. It goes, it goes back to what he said. He doesn't want us to be ignorant. The, the original word, the word used here for spiritual gifts is pneumaticon. It's, uh, pneuma is the spirit. It's, it's literally translated, translated things of the spirit. It's not actually the, the normal term for spiritual gifts here. But by the context, as we read through, he is talking about 
things that in other Pauline letters are, are called spiritual gifts. So we know he's talking these spiritual things in this passage are the spiritual gifts. And in, elsewhere, when you see the word spiritual gifts, the, the term that's used there is charismata. Charis, the, the, the root word of charismata, is, is grace. So these are grace gifts. These are aspects of the grace of God. These spiritual giftings that we're going to talk about are aspects of the grace of God that, was, that, that have been bestowed upon us by God in His grace. They are graced, grace-soaked, free, undeserved enablings of the Holy Spirit. And so a spiritual gift, we kind of want to, want to tie a definition together that we can work with today, coming off of that and some other things in the passage. This is from a class that I'm going to talk about at the end. Grace offers a, a course on spiritual gifts. It's in your bulletin this morning. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. But from that, from that class, we, we studied together. The, the leaders who put that class together studied together and came up with this definition. This is not inspired. This is just kind of a collection of, of things that we see in Scripture. A special enabling given by the Holy Spirit to every believer when they trust Christ to be used to minister to God and others, building up the body of Christ. So we move on. That's, that's kind of the introduction. Paul says he doesn't want you to be ignorant about these things called spiritual gifts. So he goes on to this, this, this little bit in verses 2 and 3 that we read. It's, it's kind of curious. You know, you look at this, uh, no, no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord. Why would he bring that in at this point? And it's really difficult to know. Again, again seeking what commentators and people have studied it through the years have said about it, there was apparently something going on, some incident that happened that was part of that letter that, Paul, uh, that they wrote to Paul, and this is part of his response to that. What, what, what idea do we get from that? Well, the idea that we get from that is, is simply this, that that which comes from the Spirit is going to exalt Jesus. And that which dishonors Jesus is not of the Spirit. And we can apply that, not really understanding the details of this little incident, we can apply that more generally uh, in our talk today. It's a really important thing to understand about exercising spiritual gifts. If they're spiritual, if they're of the Holy Spirit, they're going to exalt Jesus. And moving on in in verses 4 through 7, he comes to another concept that's important for us to understand about spiritual gifts, and that is this idea of varied unity or unified variety. He says, uh, there are varieties of gifts, ministries, and effects, but the same Spirit, Lord, and God. And all of this is given for the common good. And we're going to unpack this some more because he does it for us in example in just a second. But right here we see reference to the Trinity. And we sang this morning in worship, I asked Jared to think about songs along the lines of of surrendering our our hearts and surrendering ourselves to service, because that's what this passage is ultimately about. But uh, Jared picked up on the idea, and we we sang, Holy, Holy, Blessed Trinity, Holy, Holy, Holy. The the Trinity is present here in this passage. We see this reference to the Trinity and and a demonstration of the Trinity uh, in the body of Christ. Our varied unity, this unified variety, is designed to reflect the nature of God. The body of Christ is designed in this way that we're talking about this morning to reflect the nature of God, the Trinity of God. Three persons, yet one. The body of Christ is many persons, many gifts, yet one. And, and this unified variety shows off the, the creativity and the sovereignty and the love of God through us as the body of Christ here at Grace Bible Church, here at the Southwood Campus, uh, in our community. Uh, we're, we're showing off uh, the character and the nature of God. And then note the common good, which we're going to spend a lot of time on this morning, that uh, my gift is for you, your gift is for me. Our gifts are for one another. So then he goes on uh, in verses 8 through 11. The list, uh, he, he lists some spiritual gifts here. This is how we know he's talking about spiritual gifts, the charismata, the way he talks in other passages. 
Let's read 8 through 11. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the effecting of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. So there's, there is a list. Let's read on in verse 11. But, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. So there's a list here. Uh, I, I didn't count in this passage. There's eight or ten or so. Uh, there are two other major passages on spiritual gifts, uh, uh, Romans 12 and Ephesians 4. And if you take the listings of all the gifts in all of three of those passages, and I think in First Peter as well, and you take off the, the redundancies, the repetitions, you come up actually with a list of about 20 spiritual gifts. This is just kind of interesting facts for you as you consider the topic of spiritual gifts. We're not going to go into those, top, those passages. We're not going to go into all the gifts today. Uh, but just so you see that, we can know from the fact that uh, Paul didn't present all 20 in one location that he was being con- contextual. He was being specific to the, to the context of a given church and, and only speaking about, about certain gifts. We don't know if the 20 are all the spiritual gifts. Uh, we, don't, we don't really know that, but we, we can assume, or we can, we can know, I suppose, that, that all 20 are gifts, right? Because he's named them as spiritual gifts. So at least these 20 we know are spiritual gifts. Other, other terms and ideas are mentioned in other passages, uh, such as hospitality, in a context very close to a passage on spiritual gifts, but not actually in the exact paragraph, in the exact context. So there are other ideas that, that people think of as spiritual gifts. And, and, uh, but they, these are the 20 that, that, uh, that come to you. They're in no particular order there. They're just pulled in from all the passages and, and, uh, and listed there for you. And then, as we said, he concludes with that one and the same Spirit working all these things, or concludes this section, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. And that idea is the placement of the gifts, the placement of gifted people within the body of Christ is very much a matter of God's will. He has a purpose in gifting us this way and in putting us together in this context that he's put us in. So he goes on then uh, with an illustration for us. And that, that's very helpful because uh, it's, it's, there's a lot to absorb here. And uh, the illustration really does begin to clarify some of the ideas for us. So let's read, uh, let's read 12 through 14. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. There's a couple of words in there that that uh, probably bear a little bit of explanation. In verse 13, we're all baptized into one body. A Greek reader of this text, you know, when we read in English and we see the word baptized, what do we think of? Water, uh, being, being plunged into water, being sprinkled with water, water baptism. Uh, a Greek reader would see the verb baptizo and would, uh, would understand it differently. Uh, we've, we've, you know, adopted the term into our faith and applied it to a, an ordinance of the, of the church, but a Greek reader would see baptizo, and they would, they would actually, it's, it's not real simple, uh, it's the plunging of something into the identity of something else. So a piece of cloth being dyed in, in, in dye, uh, or a, a, actually a ship sinking uh, is, is baptized. That's kind of a negative, you know, when, the, when a ship gets baptized into the identity of the ocean, it's, it's a 
lesser purpose, right? It's sunk. It's no, it's no good anymore. But when a piece of cloth is dyed, a plain piece of cloth, say it's dyed in purple, uh, it, it receives the identity of, of royal, royal robes in that context. So uh, any, any, any sense of something being plunged, plunged into the identity of something else. So if you see the word baptized in Scripture, uh, you kind of want to ask yourself, what's, what's the context? What's going on there? This is probably talking about a combination of both uh, what we would call spiritual baptism, and that is our salvation. Uh, and then uh, water baptism as well, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. But uh, we, we say spiritual baptism, when we put our trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, uh, we receive His Holy Spirit, we receive spiritual gifts, we're going to talk about that, uh, we, we become a believer in Jesus Christ, we, we become assured of our, of our place uh, before God and, and, our, and our eternity in heaven with Him, uh, we, we, we do that by faith, uh, we are baptized into the identity of Christ Jesus. Uh, Paul says that. We receive the identity of Jesus Christ. So uh, our salvation is, a, is part of our baptism. Uh, and then there is our, our water baptism as well, which is a, a symbol, or a taking on of the, of the team jersey, a taking on of identity with the body of Christ, a public declaration that we've placed our faith in Christ. But all of us who are baptized into Christ through faith in Him are baptized into one body, this body, the church of Jesus Christ. Whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, we're all made to drink of one spirit. And that's a really beautiful idea there. Um, uh, the term is actually used of irrigation. And if you imagine crops in a parched land and irrigation comes, it is abundant and it is rich and it's nourishing. Uh, it's everything the plants need, uh, hopefully, that's the idea, in order to grow. And so that's what the spirit is for us. We receive the spirit and he is nourishing and enabling and, and life to us. Uh, and, and all of that is, is basically to say that when we become a believer in Jesus Christ, we become a part of one big whole. Not a whole, but a whole. A big, one big thing. And it's a really important thing. It's this, this idea of the body of Christ. So you can say that. I put all these in the first person. You can say that of yourself individually, that, that, that you, I am a part of one thing that is bigger than myself. One thing that God is doing, that God has willed, and that I get to be a part of. Now, he goes on and... He begins to introduce this idea of a human body as an illustration. And we're going we're gonna to use that as well. And uh, I brought in uh, a, a guest, a special guest today uh, for our time together. And you're all, almost all of you, are going to know him. He's a familiar friend. As a, as a child, you learned to love him uh, and you learned to abuse him. This is Mr. Potato Head. If you don't know who Mr. Potato Head is, um, he is a body with many parts, right? And I'll just go on one. There he is. That's what Mr. Potato Head look, looks like when he comes out of the box, right? Many parts, one body. This is the way Mr. Potato Head is supposed to look. Now, I put the Grace logo on his hat there for you. Actually, I didn't. Our graphics folks did a wonderful job of this for me this week. Uh, Mr. P is representative of the body of Christ at Grace Bible Church. He's wearing the logo right there. Uh, he is the body of Christ. Now, uh, you see him all together, and, and then, as I said, I'm going to get my order here. You see him as many parts. Is this a body? Not yet, right? No, this is the many parts. The other is the body all, when, when they all come together, and we'll look at that again in a moment. The various parts have to be together and have to be functioning, part of that one big whole, in order for the body to function the way that it's supposed to. So he goes on then in 15. Let's read 15 through 21. Let's get this whole section. If the foot says, sorry, if the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. 
And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as He desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. What's he doing here? There's about three sections, three different illustrations that he uses. The first of those is this idea that I am not... I individually am not a whole body. I, I can't do it alone. So I'm one part. I'm not the whole thing. And I've got to be what I am, but I can't, I can't be a whole body. I can't do it alone. Now, there's, there's something in verses 15 and 16 that, that also is a little bit of envy, right? I think if the hand is saying, or if the foot is saying, I'm not a hand, because I'm not a hand, I'm not, the, the foot is maybe envying the hand. But we're going to talk about the whole idea of, of you know, higher and lower and envy and all these kind of things in a couple of minutes in, in the example that Paul gives. Um, but, so that's part of it, and that's going to come out later. But, but here, uh, it's, it's a little bit difficult to illustrate with Mr. Potato Head, but uh, there are the feet by themselves, okay? So the foot has said, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. And likewise, the ears, the ear has said, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. Uh, if you look at either of these slides, is this a body? Can the feet do it on their own? No, it's a pretty simple thing. It's, 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 it's that idea uh, that um, I'm, I have to be connected to the rest of the body. You, and I'm, I'm hoping you're applying this to yourself, you have to be connected uh, to the rest of the body. You can't, you can't be independent. You can't be on your own. God's put us together with it in our design to be part of a whole, to be part of the body of Christ, all as one. And in the next section, he gives another example. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? The idea here is going to be, I'm needed, okay? I'm a, I'm a big part of one big whole. I'm not the whole body, and I'm needed, okay? And here it is. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole body were ears, where would the sense of smell be? You remember doing this as a child, don't you? With, with Mr. Some of you, I know, you're, you're mean, and you did these kind of things to Mr. Potato Head. And, uh, and, yeah, so we're, I got to live it out this week, basically. Um, so is this a body? N- no. It's pretty weird. <laughs> and, and, you know, going back to the, to the eyes there, yeah, I mean, that, there's a lot of seeing, but there's a whole lot of nothing else able to go on, and, and, the, and the same with the ears. Um, so without variety, without all of us in variety and all of us connected, where would we be? We, we would be like this. We would be kind of a helpless blob with ears all over us. Uh, so the idea again is I am needed. You individually with your gifts, the things that you bring to the body of Christ, you are needed. We can't all be one thing. We need the variety. And in his last point, before he moves on uh, into, into the example, <clears throat> is this idea that I'm needy, okay? I'm needed. I'm not a whole body. I'm part of a big whole, and I'm needy. What does that mean? I, I need the rest of the body, so in this case, a little, get a little hard to illustrate with Mr. Potato Head, but uh, there he is, the missing arms. Uh, the eye has said to the hand, I don't need you. Okay, is the eye okay? For, for now. What happens when the eye needs nourishment that's, that comes through food that the hands bring to the 
mouth in order to feed the body. And so, you know, the eyes are not okay, ultimately. What happens when the eyes see something that needs to be done? There's no hands to reach out. And I think an even more vivid illustration is the, um, let's see, is the, is the head saying to the feet, I don't need you. Now, this is the for- first time poor Mr. P has been seen horizontal. <laughs> he has no feet. He can't, he can't move around. Uh, and he's helpless. There he is. The body without the feet is, uh, is a very, very poor thing indeed. It's not a whole body. So, without unity, without the whole body working together, me honoring you as you do your part, and vice versa, where would we be? We would be a disunified uh, or worse, an incomplete entity as the church of Jesus Christ. We need to work together. We need to honor one another. We need to uh, 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 appreciate one another's gifts. And you need the body. Uh, so, yeah, I'm needy. So all of these things are, are true and are illustrated uh, by the, the, Paul's illustration of the body. And then he wants to go on and apply that for us. And so uh, we see application in uh, verses 22 and following, kind of continuing on the same line. Let's read um, 22 through 26. On the contrary, it's much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may all have the same care for one another." And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, he's, he's moving into this section as he, he wraps up the chapter with, with, with this application. And he gets into this idea of, of greater and lesser parts, more honorable, less honorable parts of the body. And, and again, if we're having this loving attitude, this other's first attitude uh, toward one another, we shouldn't experience this. And yet, it's very common in the body of Christ. I, 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 I kind of struggled at first to wrap my mind around the idea of, of dishonorable, um, dishonorable body parts. You know, we, we tend to think of ourselves as, as all important and we need everything that God's given us and, and all. But um, I, did, I did think of an illustration and my family and I had the opportunity this, uh, this fall to go and serve alongside uh, some of our missionaries in Italy and uh, yes, suffering for Jesus in Italy, I know it was, it was really difficult. Um, but this was uh, some church, churches that had been planted by Missionaries of Grace Bible Church, and they do an outreach each Thanksgiving. It had been our heart's desire to go and, and serve alongside. Uh, these families are just really close to us. And serve alongside them as they did this Thanksgiving outreach so that they could spend time with the people that they minister to, and we could kind of serve behind the scenes. Kind of an illustration of this, of this thing that we're talking about. And we got to do some, uh, some sightseeing. Obviously, you don't go to Italy without sightseeing. And at the very beginning, we were in the city of Milan. The missionaries there are actually now a, an Italian family who have taken over pastorate of the church there from the American missionaries who planted it. Those American missionaries have moved on to another church. And so these Italian, uh, Italian pastor and his wife have become really good friends of ours as well. So we are there in Milan and we're attempting to see some of the sights of Milan. And the very first day, uh, my, my family is here and they're groaning at this story that I'm about to tell. But the very first day, and I had worn shoes that were really too thin on the soles for all the walking that we did that day. We did a lot of walking that day, and it was pedestrian walkways and cobblestone streets and really hard on the feet. And so in the afternoon, we were in a, um, 
in a tour of a castle there in Milan, and I had thought that uh, it would be kind of a, the, the castle is filled with art museums, and I had thought it would be kind of an indoor-outdoor tour, and we were a little bit disappointed because it was a cold day, and we'd been walking all day, and it was all outdoor. It was a tour of the castle courtyard, basically, so it was cold, and our feet were hurting, and we found out from the tour guide, who was an English-speaking tour guide, that we would get to go into the castle, one little free exhibit, one little room for just a few minutes, and whew, okay, we'll get some heat, and we'll get some, you know, just some time out of this frigid cold. So uh, she took us in to that room, <clears throat> and um, it was just a, a public display area. It wasn't a private collection. She wanted to show us a fresco on the wall, and so we're standing there uh, as a group, and uh, our, our English-speaking tour guide is, is rambling on. Now, my feet had become so sore by this point, and the, the, the two best things about this room was, uh, were that uh, it was um, heated and it had carpeting. And I saw that carpeting as just, you know, rest and relaxation and respite for my poor, hurting, aching feet. So I had penny loafers on, and so, you know, I just kind of slipped my feet out of the shoes and set them on the carpet and was just kind of, you know, scrunching my toes into the carpet and enjoying the moment, listening to the English tour guide droning on. Over in the corner of the room was an Italian curator, a you know, person in charge of the room to keep order and justice in this room for Americans who take their shoes off. And the... <laughs> The curator didn't realize I spoke Italian, and, and, or I understand Italian, I, I speak a little, but the English tour guide is, is rattling on, and the curator suddenly just shouts out, excuse me, tell the dirty American to put his shoes back on. Nobody really knew what had been said. I was mortified, because I knew exactly what she'd said. So, you know, I kind of pulled the, pulled the feet back in, and said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and, you know, the, the American tour guide rolled her eyes. She didn't call me out or anything like that, so it ended well. I got it. The only person I was really embarrassed in front of was the was the curator. So that evening, we are having dinner with our Italian friends, the pastor and his wife. And uh, I start to tell this story to Melissa, the, the wife, who is very well-versed in American culture. And uh, she spent a lot of time here, and she has a lot of American friends, speaks English very, very well. And we're talking about this, and I, t- I get to the point where I say, and I slipped my feet out of my shoes, and I put them on the carpet. And, and she couldn't help it. This, this sneer just just grew on her lip. You know, she looked at me like, I can't believe you did. This is my friend. You know, she said, I can't believe you did that. And she said, Pat, let me, let me try to get this in context for you. Um, for an American, that would be like taking your shirt off and rubbing your armpit on the carpet or something like that. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Where am I going with this? Well, I don't really know. It's a good story, right? But <laughs> But we do, we do have this idea, culturally and, you know, individually, we do have this idea of, you know, parts of the body, parts of other humans, we don't really think about it in terms of ourselves, but parts of the body being, you know, dishonorable or dirty or whatever. We have this sense of more or less presentable, this very thing that Paul is talking about in our bodies. And let's face it, we do have that idea. We have a tendency to have that idea in this body uh, in terms of either individuals or the roles that they fulfill. Some are more honorable in our eyes and some are less honorable. So we're going, to pa- we're going to unpack that just as we conclude. Look at uh, verse 27. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. Here's another list, by the way, of the, of the gifts. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets. All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts, 
And he says, I show you a still more excellent way. So what's going on there? There's, there's this idea of greater gifts. He's, he's talking about the greater gifts and the lesser gifts. In the, in the previous section, it was more presentable, less presentable, more honorable, less honorable. What, what's, he, what's he talking about there? You can't really say he's saying that they're greater in the sense of importance or value to the body of Christ. Why? Because everything that he just said in the passage would be a lie. He's, all, he's been spending all this time saying every part is important. Every offering is important. Every, every contribution is important. We need to honor one another. We need to build one another up. So, so, but there is some idea in his mind here of greater. I think it's just this. There are more visible and attention-getting gifts. This morning, I'm standing up here speaking, and there are those who are serving behind the scenes, making sure that the sound goes well. And there, there are those who are ushering, and there, you know, there, are, there are behind the scenes, and there are kind of upfront gifts. And in our human minds, in our fleshly uh, encounter with this idea, we can look at some things as more desirable, some things as less desirable. We can be like the, the, uh, uh, the hand earlier on that said, because I'm not a whatever it was in the, in the earlier part of the passage, that, that kind of envying somebody else's gift, well, if I can't be that, I'm not really going to be a part of this. Um, there are ways in which, in our minds, there are clearly more attention-getting and honorable, visible gifts, and there are others that are not. And Paul says it's good, at least it's okay, to want those gifts. It, he says it. It's here. It's okay. Pray for it. Desire. It's okay. If, if, you, if you have a desire for a certain spiritual gift, pray for it. Pray for any gift, for that matter, if your motive, motive is right. And in, in our context here, what's the right motive? To bring glory to God and to bring honor to others. That's the, that's the, the, the two realities soaking this whole section of Scripture. Glory to God and honor to others. So if your desire is to bring glory to God or honor to others through desire for a gift that you don't have, I, Paul's saying that's okay. But don't take on superiority. Keep your attitude humble. Keep your attitude Philippians 2. Keep your attitude oriented towards one another. The superioritization, remember, remember the context, as I said, that, that God first, then others. The superioritization, if that's a word, of any gift is, is really getting off the mark of what God intended through spiritual gifts. Remembering this context, self-centeredness in employing our gifts is toxic. It's going to undo the, the, the fruit, the value, the benefit of what we're offering, and it's going to bring damage to the body of Christ. So don't be self-centered. Don't be exalting your own gift or, or doing this thing of uh, you know, creating envy, playing up one thing over the other. Uh, be a unifier, God first, then others. And because he realizes he needs to make the point, Paul says, and now I show you a more excellent way. And he's going to go on to 1 Corinthians 13, which we're going to look at later. And as you read 1 Corinthians 13, have, these, have this idea of, of the unity of the body in mind as you study that, as you prepare for next week. So we're going to wrap up with just some uh, summary truths about spiritual gifts. The main idea today was so that you would not be ignorant about spiritual gifts. So we're going to pour everything we know about spiritual gifts into one. This is from the class that we offer as well. There are 10 things here. If you're a note taker and you want to get them down, they'll be in the notes online as well. Spiritual gifts are only for believers. As we said, when one puts their trust in Christ... They receive the Holy Spirit. The Spirit imparts gifts. Each believer has one gift, at least one gift. You don't not have a gift. You have something to offer. Discovering it sometimes can be a process. It can be the challenge. We're going to talk about that. I went ahead. I wasn't supposed to do that. No believer receives all the gifts. If one believer received all the gifts, that believer would be a body. <laughs> He'd be self-sufficient, and that would go totally against everything that Paul's taught us today. No single gift is given to all believers. 
Again, variety in the unity is God's intention. You can't work for or earn the spiritual gifts. Why do we say that? I told you a minute ago that the, the, the word used for spiritual gifts is charismata. The root word is charis, which means grace. They are grace gifts. They are not deserved. They are gifts. They're beautiful bestowals of God on our behalf for our service to one another. The Holy Spirit determines our gifting. That's, that's obviously again evident from this passage today. They're given permanently. We see that in Romans 11. The spiritual gifts indicate our call and purpose. Why do we say that? If you understand your gifting, you understand a great deal more about God's intention for you in the body of Christ and in the world around you. Understanding your gifting is understanding the ways in which God desires to propel you into service and into His world. We're accountable for the use of our gifts. That from 1 Peter. There was going to be accountability for how well we used them, how we employed them, whether or not, whether or not we used them. And they must be used with love. 1 Corinthians 13 accompanies 1 Corinthians 12. In Romans 12, one of the other major passages on spiritual gifts, Paul has to do it again. He has to delve into a couple of verses on love because we have to understand love, humility, and selflessness towards one another in the employment of our spiritual gifts. Okay, so we're going to wrap up. I had to have one final attempt at just throwing all of my angst at Mr. Potato Head, you know, one, one more time. This is what you used to do when you were a kid, right? And, you know, put all the parts in the wrong places and laugh at it and everything. It doesn't really mean anything. I just wanted to do it. <laughs> no, it does actually mean something. If, if we are, if we're like this, if we're willy-nilly, if we are not thinking about the, the sensibility of what God has given us to do and where that works best and selflessly employing that and thinking about the glory and the grace of God as we do it, the body of Christ is, is jumbled. <laughs> it's a jumbled mess. But back to the beginning, if we're in our place, serving one another, loving one another, exalting Christ together, exalting one another, fulfilling our purpose, working according to the gifts we've been given, there is this wholeness, there is this unity, there is this symphony uh, that is what God intended for the body of Christ here at Grace, here at Southwood. So what now? What, what do we want to do now? A couple of things. You need, to, you need to do some more study of the spiritual gifts individually. Some of you are going, I've done the spiritual gift survey, I know what my spiritual gifts are. Some of you are going, this is the first time I've heard this, I don't know what he's talking about. For all of you, really I think that understanding and employing our spiritual gifts is, is to a great extent a lifetime study uh, because, um, because of some things that, well, there, there's a guy named Bobby Clinton who uh, my wife actually took a, a course from him. Uh, he wrote a book on spiritual gifts and there's a little bit in there about how to apply this. And he basically said it's very sensible and we use it in our gifts course. Study the gifts. Get into the Word. Look at those passages I called your attention to. Look at the words. Try to, you know, look, use your online Bible study tools. Find out what the meanings are. Uh, find out what, you know, what they are in the context of the day, what they would be in the context of today. And analyze yourself. You can find places where the spiritual gifts are defined. You can see definitions. You can begin to understand what they are. A lot of people think that understanding your spiritual gifts is a matter of taking a, a little survey. Have you all seen those little things? You, you answer questions and you total the columns and if you have a 50 here, then your evangelism or whatever. And those are useful. Um, I'm, not, I'm not knocking them, but we didn't even put one of those into our course on spiritual gifts because that tells you something. It tells you kind of how you're oriented. But there are a couple of things, you, other things you really must do. Have that confirmed by others. So as you study the spiritual gifts, you think, you know, I really think I might be the gift of evangelism. And you go to your roommate, you go to your, your, your spouse, you go to a friend, someone who knows you really well, and you talk to them about it. Try to understand what they have to offer you in terms of what they know about you. Because we're not always objective about ourselves, right? So you need some objective input from others. 
And then confirm in ministry. Start serving. I think one of the tragedies of lack of understanding of this whole concept is that people who know about spiritual gifts but don't think they know what theirs is, they will spend time just sitting and waiting. You know, I've got to figure it out before I go plunge in. We do want you serving primarily in the area of your giftedness. We call it your primary ministry, but we want you serving. We can't do what we do here without everybody involved and everybody playing a role. So waiting around to find out what your spiritual giftedness is is probably not the best idea either. When you think you understand what it is, try it. Uh, and we're very gracious if we find somebody's plugged into something and they're really not well-suited. You know, we're not going to condemn them. We're going to help them find a role uh, in, a, in a better-suited place. This is part of a process. And I think that this, this way of studying it really illustrates that for you. There's one more very specific thing that you can do, and that is sign up for Discover Your Ministry. April 15th, 22nd, 29th, we ask that you attend all three sessions. It's cumulative. There's things that you'll do that will tie together. We're not only going to look at spiritual gifts. We're going to look at what you're passionate about. We're going to look at your personality type. We're going to look at a combination of five factors, beginning with spiritual gifts, help you analyze yourself, and help you figure out where are the opportunities of service here at Grace that you can get plugged into. So a real practical application. I went and checked. Uh, the online sign-up is on, so, and it's in the bulletin today as well. So all the information you need is there. And the last thing I'd say as we, as we wrap up and as we pray together uh, is is just to remember what I would say is the main application from this entire section of Scripture that we've been spending time in and that we're going to continue to spend time in for a few more weeks. And that is uh, your motive in terms of worship. Worship when we're gathered corporately and worshiping in, 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 our, in our musical worship, but worship also in serving one another and in serving uh, Christ. What is your motive? Putting God first, not myself. And putting others first, not myself. And, and just offering yourself freely uh, in that giving in that we talked about at the beginning. So, so those are the things I'd love for you to be uh, praying about and thinking about as so you think about these words and, and go out uh, from, from, from this place today. Let's pray together as we wrap up. God, you are gracious. Uh, you are so good. We are, as your children, recipients of your abundant, abundant grace. Where would we be without you? And so we do exalt you in this place together, just uniting our hearts and saying, you're the Lord, and we love you. We love what you have done for us. We love what you've given to us, Lord. We worship and exalt you. And, and I know I speak for most who are gathered here that we, we love you for placing us in this body, in this group of believers, in this gathering. Uh, we're so grateful to you for the opportunity to serve you here. So with thanksgiving, Lord, I would just, I would just ask on behalf of myself and everyone gathered here, Lord, that our our application of the understanding of spiritual gifts this morning that you've given through the Apostle Paul and through your word uh, would inspire and encourage us to understand more about what you have provided, what you have gifted us with in our lives, and how to offer that here uh, so that you would be exalted and so that our brothers and sisters would be lifted up, so this body would be unified, and that more and more and more would come to know you. And this community and this world would be changed as we, uh, as we employ our gifts together, Lord. So it's a very big thing, and we commit ourselves to that end as we, uh, as we wrap up and as we pray together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys this morning.